morning. Um, the scripture reading today will be Ephesians six ten through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you today that all of us could be here. I pray that you would open our hearts um, to hear your word and to be um, able to listen and focus on what you have for us today. I um, thank you for everyone that's here, and I um, pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus has power over four different categories of things. Let's just use that kind of weak, nondescript word, things. Uh, this is the interactive part while our, while our children go to their lesson. What four things does Jesus have complete power over and that he exampled to us systematically time and time again? Name one. Sorry? Wind. So let's put that under the, char- uh, the, the category of nature. Even the winds and the sea, what? They obey him. What else? Okay, death. Let's say death. He is the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in him, though he die, he shall live. Right? Okay, so death. That's a huge one. Jesus, as a matter of fact, in Revelation 1, you will see that he holds the keys to Hades and death. And he says, I was the one who was alive and died, but I am alive forevermore. Anything in nature... A tsunami, a tornado that sadly ripped through Tennessee this last week. Anything in nature and death are completely in his control. What else? Yes, demons, Satan. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. So don't be amazed that the the spirits, the demons are subject to you in my name. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven, in the book of life. I mean, the demons give a proper testimony of who Jesus is. Have you come to torment us, Jesus, before our time? We know who you are, the Son of God. What else? We're missing one. Yes. Disease and disability. Which means the coronavirus is not outside of his control. Do we have to be careful? Should we be wise? I mean, are we going to be foolish and say, if you love God, you'll never contract the coronavirus? That's foolishness to think like that. God can protect anyone. He even causes the rain to fall on the unjust, just as He allows it to fall on the just. We are in a fallen world under a curse of sin. But we need to remember here at the outset that Jesus is in complete control. He is the sovereign one over death, and disease, and demons, and nature. None of it escapes Him. Therefore, you as God's people can trust Him 
with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Psalm says that the psalmist cries out and he says, O people, trust in Him at all times, for He is a refuge to us. We can do that. We as God's people can provoke one another unto this good work. And if God allows it to wreak havoc in our community, then we should show the love of Jesus Christ to those hurting within this family and to those next door to us, showing great caution, but not responding out of fear. Okay? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for our community. And then let's look at our text this morning. Lord, You are a good God. And You are worthy of our trust. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You are with us. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort us. Lord, even as we just prayed, would our hearts be still? Even when the world is at unrest and in fear, would our hearts be still? Renew a steadfast spirit within us. For of all people, we are the people who do not need to fear. For You are our rock and our refuge, our safe place. Nothing is outside of Your control. Not a single spirit, not a single disease, not a single act of nature, not even death. God, we praise You. You are the Sovereign One. There is no one like You. So I pray that You would still Your people's hearts this morning. We are Your sheep, the sheep of Your pasture, and You lead us by still waters. Even when storms rage, Lord, even the winds and the seas obey Your voice. So capture our hearts this morning by Your incredible greatness and that You are making all things new and that we live with a confident expectation in a place for a place that we have never seen and that we have not yet arrived at yet. Help us to be faithful pilgrims and strangers on this earth as we trust in You in all circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is kind of sad to say this, but probably the last time I'll say it for a while, please take your scriptures and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we complete our study in this incredible letter written to the believers at Ephesus. Where are we going from here? Uh, Next week we will begin a four-week study that is gloriously interrupted uh, by the what we call Palm Sunday, which is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. There'll be an individual sermon on that. And then we will have a Good Friday service, and then we will have a, a celebration on that Sunday highlighting and glorying in Christ's bodily resurrection from the grave. Um, but there'll be a four-week study then spread out on walking with God. Here are the four topics. We will talk about walking with God through doubt. I'm not just talking about a little bit of doubt. I'm talking about severe, incessant, plaguing, dark doubt. Okay, walk. How do we do that? How do we walk with God through those seasons of life? Walking with God through death. Several of you in here, just in the last year, in the last couple years, have experienced the, the very deep loss of a loved one. How do we walk with God through death? How do we walk with God through trials and suffering? And then finally, how do we walk with God with hope in the sense of the best is yet to come? A confident expectation that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new city. Uh, So that'll be a four-week sermon series. It's a great short series to invite neighbors and friends to be a part of. Okay, So think about who you might be able to invite to benefit from the proclamation of God's Word. Ephesians 6. Start with a question. What do you know of your enemy and what is your strategy for standing against his schemes? Do you even have a strategy? Did you wake up and implement that strategy? Here's my concern. I would be a poor leader if I told you that this world is a playground. I would be a poor spiritual leader if I I let us just sort of numbly 
walk forward thinking life is a mall or a beach or a playground because it is a battlefield. You go to sleep in a battlefield and you wake up in a battlefield. And the reason we say that is because that's what God's word says. So what do you know of your enemy and what is your strategy for standing against the forces of evil? Paul wrote this letter and three other letters. We call those four letters the prison epistles or the letters he wrote from prison. He wrote this letter to believers in Ephesus. It was probably a circular letter, so it went to several churches. And he wrote it while he was in Rome under house arrest for two years. It's very interesting, the setting. Acts 28, verse 16 says this. And when Paul came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with someone. Who was he with? He was under house arrest. He was, he was able to pay for his own lodging, his own food. But it says he was able to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He was forced to have a roommate. And that roommate was a Roman soldier. And so when you start to see the illustration that Paul uses, it's a staggering illustration of, of this soldier, this probably a Roman foot soldier or bodyguard, and brought here, Paul was probably looking right at this man because he perhaps was chained to him, but he was at least in close proximity to him. He wrote this letter seven to nine years after his visit to Ephesus. So that church had changed. Let me ask you, do churches change within seven to nine years? Yes, some for the better, some for the worse. In this final section of the letter, if you look at the verses 10 to 13, Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see that Paul addressed the armor of God in a very general way. But now he's going to move and he's going to provide six specific pieces of armor that will help believers be equipped to stand against the assault of the devil's, it says, schemes. The idea there is methods or tactics or strategies. Do you know God's Word is going to give you a tactical strategy? Are we living in that reality? In the second half of this letter, do you remember this? Beginning in chapter 4, which, which feels like, for some of you, three years ago, it was just late last year we started this study, and when we got into chapter 4 earlier this year, there was, there was one particular verb that structured the teaching. Do you remember what verb that was? It was not blinking. It was a learned response. Right, walking. Several times it says this, walk worthy, walk differently, walk in love, walk in light, walk in holiness, walk carefully with wisdom. But in his final application, and I want you to kind of feel the brakes be put on, because Paul's going to change the verb. It's no longer going to be walk, 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 walk like this. It's going to be what? Stand. Now that seems counterintuitive from where Paul just came from, right? Walk, 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 no, stand, withstand, stand, stand. Look at the uses. Look at verse 11. That you may be able to stand against. Now the word stand is not used in verse 12, but there is a word used four times. It's the word against. For you do not wrestle against, primarily. Okay, it's, it's a Semitic word for, for humanity, flesh and blood. That's not your primary struggle. But you wrestle against, against, against. Look at verse 13 that you may be able to withstand, and then he says in verse 13, stand firm, and then verse 14, one more time, stand. Okay, why the change? Why is this an effective tactic when we wrestle against spiritual darkness and the forces of evil? Because here's the picture. As we get into Ephesians 6, we are in an extended military campaign against spiritual forces which means you can't see them, against cosmic intelligences, which means they're from another world you really haven't even seen yet, real demonic personalities, and because Satan is called the ruler of this world or the prince and the power of darkness, we would say this, what you are confronted with in this extended military campaign is a hierarchy of hell. Now, don't you want to know how to stand against that assault? This is exactly what Paul is going to do. Here's what I want us to see clearly, and then we'll jump into the section. There is real spiritual evil 
behind the human atrocities that are committed. When Cain murdered his brother, there was a real spiritual evil hissing behind Cain's actions. There is real evil behind human trafficking, behind drug and alcohol addiction, behind physical abuse and sexual abuse and mental abuse and spiritual abuse. The Christian worldview, out of all other worldviews, takes into account sin and spiritual forces of evil so that we really offer the best explanation for why these things occur in this world and how we are supposed to stand against them. So what do you know of your enemy? What do you know of his heinous and chaotic wickedness? And what is your strategy for standing against him? Here's the plan. We're going to look at this. This is our outline. So if you're an outline person, okay, one, two, three. Stand firm. Secondly, put on the whole armor of God. And third, it's going to sound so old-fashioned for some of you, but we're hopefully going to get to this and explore this a little more. Are you ready for this? Pray. How many sermons have you heard like this? You know why you've probably heard countless sermons like this? Because it's God's Word, and this is His tactical plan for standing against the methods of the devil. Here's what I want to warn Warning, right in the beginning. It's not really the beginning, but here's a warning. Some of you have heard so many sermons about this Roman soldier that even in your mind already, when we get into Romans 6, you see this sort of stubby, stout little guy, right? With his shield and his sword, huge sword, right? And he's got the shoes on, and you almost have this like flannel graph for some of you. For others, you know, it was a little more modern. And you have this picture of a Roman soldier, and when you left, you were like, huh, that was really interesting, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Okay? That's not why Paul is using the illustration of a Roman soldier. So let's look at this. Yes, he's looking at Roman legionnaires. Um, on, on their weaponry, but that's not what you're, it's not something physical you're putting on. So let's look at number one, stand firm. Back to verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, okay, to continue to hold, to stay put. Hollywood has actually given us an incredible picture of this standing. You'll actually see this when it comes down to the shield, this huge shield that is mentioned in this passage, where these Roman legionnaires link their shields together and stop the onslaught of an incredible army that they are outnumbered by. That's the idea. Stand, hold, stay put against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Now, that's oppose and resist. So you're not just motionless, you're standing, you're staying put, but you're opposing and resisting in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, verse 14, stand therefore. Okay, when is the evil day? The last days we know according to Hebrews 1 are the days when Christ came. He has spoken to us in many various ways in times past through prophets and visions and such. But in these last days He has spoken to us through His Son, so when Jesus Christ came as a man in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, 4, the last days were inaugurated. The evil day now is when the devil's schemes are being implemented with full force. You will see that if you read the Gospels as Jesus walked up in Galilee. You will see the satanic forces assaulting our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 12.12 gives a warning. It says this, Woe to you, O earth and sea! For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows something. What does he know? Because he knows that his time is short. Because he has that knowledge, his assaults right now are raining down and this is the evil day. For too many Christians, we don't understand the danger of that reality because we fail to believe in the spiritual world. But if you would just come to this text and believe what it says as children of simple faith, it would help you so much understand the battle 
and the tactics against the schemes of the devil. Do you know that proud people are compromised people? When we talk about standing, I want to highlight this one in particular weakness. As we stand together, okay, as we form a line, if you would, proud people are the weak link. Arrogant Stoics are not strong spiritual warriors. Let me, let me read to you, because James, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, will say this. In his letter, he will say, resist the devil and he will what? He will flee from you. Okay, so according to James, what does it look like to resist the devil? To stand, if you would. He says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, proud people don't submit. Proud people don't submit to God. Proud people don't submit to pastoral authority in the place of God. Proud people do not submit. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Then he inserts this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, what does that look like? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This, this simply means be broken over your sin. Be broken specifically over your sin of pride, which is creating distance between you and God. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Paul reminded the church at Corinth that we do not need to be, quote, outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Proud people are weak spiritual warriors. So stand and stand together and stand in humility. Now, part of our strategy in our struggle against the devil's schemes is to stand in the power of the Lord and His might, but also a successful stand involves this, and this is the second point, put on the full armor of God. I want you to see this. Twice in this passage, we are told on to put all of it. We are told to put on the whole armor. Look at verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? This should be familiar by now. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up. Okay, that's different. There are some pieces of armor you put on and some that you take up. We're going to look at that in just a few, a few minutes. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So the schemes of the devil and the evil day are sort of used as synonymous ideas. Taking up and putting on are used as synonymous ideas in this spiritual warfare. Before we get to the pieces, and so that we do not leave with this picture of, of this stout little Roman legionnaire, um, there's an Old Testament background to Paul's use of spiritual armor. And like last week we said, it is sunk into the prophet Isaiah's writings. These are not original ideas with Paul. Paul is borrowing these ideas to make a point. What you will find out is with that Old Testament background, all of the armor language is typically attributed to the Messiah, the coming suffering servant. The armor language is a way to talk about identification with Messiah. In the New Testament, we would say in union with Jesus Christ. We are in Him. So it talks about identification with God and His purposes. So this is not something external from us that we are putting on. It is something we have access to because of our relationship with God. Is that clear? Because it has to be clear before we move on. Because if you're thinking, I need to go out to Walmart and find these gospel boots, you've missed it. Or somehow I just got to, you know, pull up my belt and fight harder. If, if that's what you're... Got, Paul isn't asking you to do anything more. Or if I could use poor grammar to get your attention. He's not asking you to do better, to be better, to be gooder. He's not asking you to do that. You are standing in the reality of something. And because you are in this relationship with God, who is the armor, you can stand effectively but there is still something you have to do individually. Some of the armor, truth, righteousness, salvation, suggest we are to put on, I want you to hear this, you are to put on God. Just like it said in Ephesians 4, put on what? The new 
man which is created in Christ Jesus. And in others, we are at least to put on the characteristics of God, His righteousness, His truth. This aligns with Isaiah's description of the Lord as a warrior. So here's what this is not asking you to do. This is not asking you to launch a brand new campaign against Satan. You're not going to go out there and start rebuking the devil and getting in small little house prayer groups and binding Satan. Okay, this, this was a, that teaching spread like wildfire in Africa. And I'm like, who's binding Satan? Because he keeps getting loose and running around. And the Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion. And they would laugh at the, at, at the idiocy of this teaching that they were... No, that's not part of your spiritual warfare. That's not part of the tactics that God has given you. This is not suggesting a new attack on the devil. You are standing in Christ's victory. You're fighting from a position of victory. You're never told to advance against Him. Jesus is the hero. You're simply standing with Jesus. We are to stand in what Christ has already accomplished. Do you know that even Michael the archangel didn't launch a new campaign against Satan? Matter of fact, Jude says this, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, see, at some point, Satan wanted the dead body of Moses to probably put forward the illusion of some miracle and speak lies, because that's what the devil does. And when they were disputing about the body of Moses, he did not, Michael the archangel, did not even presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. You stand with the Lord. You are strong in Him and in the power of His might. You're not fighting for anything new. Death has already been defeated. The devil has already been defeated. Sin has already ultimately been defeated. So you are standing in the victory that Jesus Christ, our hero, has already won. So putting on the armor is not about doing work that only Christ could do. Putting on the armor is about standing in His finished triumph. It's about union with Jesus Christ and gospel stability. So let's look at these six main pieces of armor then with that in view. Six main pieces of a soldier's kit that help us stand firm. With verse 13 again, this will set us into the six pieces. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, which is the same thing, same idea as the schemes of the devil, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore first piece of equipment, having fastened on the belt of truth. This belt was worn under the armor and it held things in place. It secured the small dagger-like sword on the side, it kept him from being impeded. If he had to move side to side or forward, the belt would hold things together. Have you ever worn a pair of pants that were too loose around the waist and you forgot to put on a belt before you left the house? Have you ever done that? Some of you are like, it's been a long time since I've worn a pair of pants that were too loose. Um, and, then, and then what do you do in the rest of the day? Kind of pulling that up. This is a good day to tuck the shirt in. You try to get a little more space in there, right? Um, one of our children... Uh, he, he just had such a small little waist, and if you would watch him run around our yard in Zambia, he'd run, 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 and then he'd have to stop, and he'd have to pull his trousers up, and then he'd run, 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 he'd have to, and then he'd start running with one hand on the side of his trousers, and he'd, you know, he'd be almost tripping over them. Um, it impedes movement. That's all, that's all this does. The, do, you know, do you know what impedes your movement? Deception. Lies. Do you know what gives you freedom of movement? God's truth and your truthfulness. There's, by the way, in the first two pieces of armor, there is a subjective and objective meaning. Doctrinal truth frees your movement. And your truthfulness frees your movement. When you abandon God's Word as your final authority, you are impeded and you are going to trip while being assaulted. That is not a good position. And if you are not truthful, 
That will impede your movement and you will be assaulted while tripping. One of the devil's many descriptions is that he's a liar. Jesus said in John 8.44, He is a liar and there is no truth in him. Do you know that Satan has built a network of deception throughout this world? As the prince and the power of the air, as the ruler of this world, as the god of this world. Those are all titles for Satan. He has built an incredible demonic network of deception. He promotes false doctrine in the name of God and quotes Scripture word perfect. See, it would have been easy to attack media right there. But do you know where he is sowing some of his worst lies? In the church. Remember last week we talked about how Satan resisted or how Jesus resisted Satan in the wilderness. And all three times he moved and quoted Deuteronomy. Right? It is written... It is written, it is written. And one time, Satan picks up the very sword of the Word and turns it back and he quotes Psalm 91, 11 to 12 perfectly while they're 400 feet high on the pinnacle of Herod's temple. Listen to what Satan, he's so clever. Listen to what he does. Cast yourself down if you're the Son of God. For it is written, this is still Satan speaking, The Lord will command His angels to take good care of you. They will lift you up in their hands. They won't let you trip over a single stone. He quoted Scripture word perfect. What was the problem? It was out of context. And that's why Jesus then quotes another passage and places it into context. Satan can promote lies while quoting Scripture perfectly. Do you know you can make Scripture say anything you want, but it doesn't change the actual meaning of Scripture just because you quote it out of context? Satan has his teachers, his temples, his churches, his mosques, his synagogues, his cathedrals, and his Baptist churches. Satan has his imams, priests, clerks, elders, rabbis, popes, Pastors and preachers of all denominations. Satan thrives in religion. He's at home at the heights of the temple and he's very comfortable possessing Judas at the Last Supper in Jerusalem. There's a beautiful contrast. In Titus 1 verse 2 it says this, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the what? The truth. I don't just preach the truth. It is my nature. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes unto the Father except through me. So if you think there's another way, oh, if you think there's a clever, another moral, religious, opportunistic way, you have swallowed hook, line, and sinker the lie of Satan. Because Jesus is the truth and He is the only way to the Father. Do you know that since the devil's schemes involve lies and deceptions, you must put on the belt of truth. Doctrinal truth and truthfulness. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Grow them in the truth. Your word is truth. Second, look at verse 14. Okay, we have put on the belt of truth. That's something you strap on. There's another piece of equipment you strap on. Verse 14, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I love Isaiah's promise about what the Messiah would would be like. It said he would, in Isaiah 59, verse 17, put on righteousness as a breastplate. Do you know this part of the armor is especially important when, when, when Satan's fiery darts, those fiery arrows come down and they accuse you of past sin? A doubting conscience, a hurting conscience. This righteousness is also objective and subjective. Objectively, it is justification. You have been legally declared to be as righteous as Jesus Christ by simple faith believing in His finished cross work and resurrection. That is a truth. You stand from that. So the devil will come along and he'll attack you as the slanderer. And you have this breastplate of righteousness, this piece of armor that protects your vital organs. 
See, that's one of the devil's descriptions is that he's a slanderer. That's what the Greek term devil means. Used more than 30 times means slanderer or defamer. He just whispers those things. You are so vile. You are such an awful person. You are such a failed parent. Look at that. Jesus wouldn't do that. He slanders. And he maligns. That's, that's, that's what his name is. The Hebrew word Satan means accuser or adversary or one who withstands. It's used 50 times. What do you think one of his main tactics is going to be? His main methods or schemes. He is going to slander you to the point that you're no longer useful in what God has called you to do. And this, this is how he works. There's this, this awful, evil tension. He tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, tempts you, right? And then at some point, typically, we give in. Okay, we don't plan for it, but he tempts, 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 tempts. We give in, and then he accuses us for giving in to the very thing he tempted us to do. That is his scheme, his method, his nature. There's a beautiful contrast in Jesus Christ. In 1 John 2, verse 1, listen to this. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, listen to this title, the righteous. Isn't that beautiful? It's not my righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness. So when he slanders and accuses and defames, I'm in Christ. That's my righteousness. But like truth, the breastplate of righteousness also has a second meaning, and that is this. Uh, that we as believers, because we stand in, standing in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, are therefore called to be righteous. We are people who meet our obligations of doing right. We do right to one another, right? Last night we heard a group of college-age men and women recite Romans from memory. Well, we, we heard eight of the 16 chapters uh, suffering from a headache. I think I felt the front of the time change coming in. Okay, so you're, you're still with me. Um, there's no pressure with the time change, but awful headache. We heard all the way up to Romans 8, and these young people did a fantastic job. Sokel did chapter 2, and some of uh, her friends did the other chapters. Um, but, but after you work through the first seven chapters, I, I, I still remember, uh, even suffering from a headache, when they got to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where they said, There is therefore now no what? condemnation to those who are in. There's that relational armor. Standing in. Standing with. To those who are in Christ Jesus. Later on at the end, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? My Satan will. He's the devil. He's the accuser, the slanderer. He's Satan. He's the defamer. He will incessantly bring accusation, 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 accusation. And here's here's the reality. He does not have to lie about you to accuse you. He just has to tell the truth about your horrible motives and thoughts and actions and attitudes. You don't even have to make things up. He can just tell the truth about Steve Hafler and I feel defeated. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? These terms where he slanders and defames and accuses. No, 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 no. He doesn't get to, he doesn't get to say that. In the military, it's common to say the enemy always gets a vote. You've got to factor. You may not get four hours of sleep tonight because the enemy gets a vote if he goes on the offense. True. Not true with God. Satan doesn't get a vote. He doesn't get to condemn. He doesn't get to slander because it's not him who died and it's not him who's alive and it's not him who is righteous. G.G. Finley said of the two ideas, the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belong to the justified life are woven together in one impenetrable chain of mail. Beautiful picture. Deception and failure to meet your obligations will trip you up. So stand in Christ's truth. Stand in Christ's righteousness. Third, and we're going to start really moving through these fast. Shoes of gospel peace. Look at verse 15. 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel. Okay, so I'm going to disagree with about every sermon you may have heard on this right, right at this point. Many of you have heard at camp or at a retreat, okay, so you need to go out and you need to be, you need to be ready to preach the gospel. How many of you have heard that? You just got to be ready to evangelize. And as soon as you meet an unbeliever, you just tell them about Jesus. And that will give you good traction. That's not what this is saying. It says readiness, not proclamation. Okay, so what is this? Well, it's going, to, it's, going to, it's going to stay in alignment with doctrinal truth and the righteousness of Christ. So what is this peace that gives us readiness and traction? The shoes Roman legionaries wore were half-boot sandals with studded soles. They were deliberately designed with sort of these hobnails for traction. These were not long-distance running shoes. These were, these were the kind of shoes where you would dig in and, this is going to surprise you, stand and stand and withstand and stand. That's the picture here. What are we standing in in reference to this gospel of peace? Amidst satanic attack, you are standing on the side and in relationship with who? The prince of peace. You are at peace with the King of Kings. And as such, He has given to you His Spirit. And part of the fruit of that Spirit is love, joy, peace. So you can actually be at peace with fellow humanity. You can be at peace with your neighbor because you are at peace with God. This provides incredible traction. Do you know the devil hates the gospel? Here's why. Romans 1.16. Paul said this. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And when you know that you have been born again and you are standing on the side of the Prince of Peace, it gives incredible standing when Satan starts aiming those fiery darts of doubt and unrest and the lack of peace into your heart. Matter of fact, back in Ephesians 2.17, it said this, And He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He preached peace to the Jew and the Gentile and He broke down that dividing wall and brought peace even among them. We stand in that peace. And that is why, in, in the fulfillment, Jesus was the best evangelist ever. Isaiah 52.7 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, here's part of this, this, this message of peace, your God reigns. And you stand in that peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Do you know that peace this morning? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, legally declared righteous, there's that breastplate, since you have been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That should give you traction this morning. Fourth, shield of faith. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up... Okay, the other ones you put on, you strapped on, now you're going to be told to take up two pieces. You're going to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This shield is described in classic literature as a convex shield two and a half feet wide and four feet tall. It covered the entire body. Covered with canvas, then with animal hide. There's a reason for that. And then it was bound by metal on the top edges where swords would come down and on the bottom edges where they would dig it into the ground. It would protect those two layers of wood that were glued together in the animal skins. The animal skins were specially put there in layers or a type of canvas to extinguish the darts that were dipped in pitch, lit on fire, and launched. This was common warfare and probably the most advanced kind of warfare at this time period. Satan is referred to in 1 Peter 5, 8-9 as a devouring lion. Listen to what it says. It's called the shield of what? So don't just think shield. What is that big structure that protects you faith first peter 5 8 to 9 there's a picture of a devouring lion be sober-minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour okay what can be done resist him 
firm in your what? Faith. 1 John 5, 4 to 5. Don't miss this. This is an incredible. There's actually an older hymn that, that we don't sing much anymore, but it's faith, faith is the victory. Okay, you know that, most of you probably know that tune. That, that older hymn was written from this text. I want to read it to you from 1 John 5, 4 to 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. See, this is not a new campaign. You've already overcome the world. You're standing in Christ's victory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Next two words. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Your faith has an object and it is Jesus Christ. And when you stand in Christ, that is the shield that stands in front of you. And when you are assaulted and when the methods and the schemes rain down from hell, it is faith in Jesus Christ that protects you. Fifth, look at verse 17. And take, just like we took up the shield, we take the helmet of salvation. Isaiah promised a Savior who would, in Isaiah 59, 17, put on a helmet of salvation on his head and he will put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he will wrap himself in zeal as a cloak. That Roman helmet was made of bronze or iron and nothing but a well-designed hammer or axe could even get through it and penetrate it. It was hot and uncomfortable. Here's what I want you to know about the helmet. A seasoned veteran soldier would never put that heavy structure on his head until when? Until the enemy was close. And so for Paul to say, you take, up, you take this up and you put it on, the enemy is at hand. They put that on, it was, it, was, it was heavy and it was hot, but for the believer, our helmet is the assurance of salvation. Not just now, but future and eternal. Listen to what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, he's going to add something to this description, the hope of salvation. You know that is going to protect you? That helmet is a confident expectation that Jesus Christ will do exactly as he said he would. He would save you. And he told his disciples in John 14, don't be sorrowful for I'm going away, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Charles Hodge wrote this, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy is the fact that he is saved. Look at the sixth piece. Verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There are two words for the word word. One is logos, the other is rhema. Those are two Greek words. Logos is the full word, the fully revealed word. That's why in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the logos. He's the full completion, fulfillment of the Word of God. There are other shorter statements, or what they would call statements that are used in confrontation and rebuke. It's not the full Revealed word, but these are specific statements. They're the rhema. Okay? Do not fear, for God is on your side. That's a, that's a specific statement. Do you know when it talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, do you know which word is used for word here? Rhema. Short, confrontational statements. Specific statements. Romans 10, 17 says this, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word, Rhema, of Christ. These specific statements of hope, of confidence, of courage. In Hebrews 4, 12-13, For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature... Do you know no creature is hidden from the Word? Can I just read to you a portion of Ephesians 6? No creature. This includes rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over spiritual darkness, and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. No creature is hidden from the Word of God, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes with Him whom we must give an account to. So those are the six pieces. Stand, put on all the armor, and finally pray. We're just going to read this. Verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. I'm just going to read the rest of the letter, but I want, I want to give you one illustration to sort of make prayer not get lost amidst all the other pieces of armor. Jesus said in Luke 22 to Peter, he reverts back and calls him by his original name, and he says this. I want you to hear this because this connects, it connects so clearly into Ephesians 6. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. Okay, somehow that's possible in the spiritual realm. That he might sift you like wheat. Do you know what Jesus' response was? Listen to what he says. But I have prayed for you. Satan asks to have Peter personally to sift him like wheat. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Remember, pride people don't make good spiritual warriors. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Satan wants you. Jesus will say, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Just, just notice real quick. The four alls. Pray at all times. Do you see that? Pray with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all. There's the third all. Perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. Have you prayed for me this week? Have you prayed for the person sitting in the row with you? Have you prayed for the person behind you? This is how we keep alert. Paul then asked for a specific prayer. Let's just read the rest of it together. 6.18-19 And also for me. Pray for me. I would say that as your lead pastor. Pray for me. Read the stats. They're not encouraging. That the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21 So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. There's that relational component. After all this armor talk, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I'm going to ask our music team to come forward. Before we sing a hymn of response, I will read the benediction that Paul gives to that church as our music team gets in place. I want you to look at verse 23. He says this, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Three farewell blessings. We would, I would say it this way if I were the one writing this letter. Peace be to the brothers and sisters of Highlands. May you know that peace. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love. God's compassion is love for you. And finally, grace is extravagant and undeserved kindness. Grace be with all of you here, right now, gathered at Highlands, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray.